You are connected, and you are listening to Specifically for Seniors, the podcast for those in the Remember When generation. Today's podcast is available everywhere you listen to podcasts and with video at Specifically for Seniors YouTube channel. Now, here's your host, Dr. Larry Barsh. My guest today on Specifically for Seniors is Ashton Applewhite, an internationally recognized expert on ageism. Ashton is the author of This Chair Rocks, a manifesto against ageism, a co-founder of the old school anti-ageism clearinghouse, if you think that's easy to say. She speaks widely at venues that have included the TED main stage and the United Nations. She is at the forefront of the emerging movement to raise awareness of ageism and to dismantle it. In 2022, the Decade of Healthy Aging, which is a UN and WHO collaboration, named Ashton one of the Healthy Aging 50, 50 leaders transforming the world to be a better place to grow older. Welcome, Ashton, and thanks for coming on the podcast. We have so much to talk about. There is a lot to talk about, and we all need to talk about it more than we do. Thank you for having me. Let's start off with your story. How did you become interested in the field of ageism? Well, uh, it dawned on me in my mid-50s, which was 15 years ago, that this getting old thing was happening to me. And I realized I was deeply apprehensive, sort of vaguely, you know, terrified. And so I started uh, being a nerd, researching longevity and, and interviewing people over 80. And I realized within a matter of uh, months, if not weeks, that everything I thought I knew about late life was way off base or not nuanced enough or flat out wrong. And it became obvious. You know, so I sort of got a bee in my bonnet about why we only heard the bad things about getting older, which I will, you won't catch me brushing them under the rug. There are lots of legitimate reasons to be concerned about aging well. However, our fears are way out of proportion to reality. Those fears are bad for us. And we never hear the other side of the story. And the reason it became clear very soon was ageism, bias on the basis of age, both between our ears and in the world around us. An attitude about aging was voiced by a prominent physician in 2014. I guess we'll mention the name, Ezekiel Emanuel. Uh, He published an article in the Atlantic entitled, Why I Hope to Die at 75. He argued that at 75, he will have lived a full and complete life, having seen his children grow to adulthood and his grandchildren born and beginning their lives. He postulated that many of us will be disabled, faltering and declining, robbed of our creativity and ability to work. He feared being no longer remembered as vibrant and engaged, but rather as feeble ineffectual, even pathetic. 
just for people who may not know or remember who Ezekiel Emanuel is, he's chairman of the University of Pennsylvania's Department of Medical Ethics and Healthcare Policy, served as an advisor to former President Barack Obama on healthcare policy. Using your words, I want to ask you a question. Yo, is this ageism? You know, it's it's such a textbook version of both ageism, um, which is discrimination and stereotyping on the basis of age, and ableism, which is making assumptions about people's um, you know capacities and their value as human beings based on how we assume their minds and bodies function. So my first comment is, I can't wait to see Ezekiel Emanuel at 74 eat those words with ketchup on top. Uh, He is the epitome of privilege in this culture. He is really smart. He is really ambitious. He is really capable. He is white. He is well-educated. He has a bunch of money. And he, you know, symbolizes everything our hyper-capitalist culture values, productivity, speed, achievement. Those values are not kind to anyone who is a woman, who is not white, who might have a disability, and so on and so on. And there was so much in his article to take issue with, uh, you know, in particular, sort of the presuming, the, the sort of judgment that old life when we're no longer young is simply not worth living. And not only does study after study show that people are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of our lives, it's called a U-curve of happiness. And that's one of the things I learned 15 years ago. I was like, whoa, I thought it was all supposed to be awful. That's not what the science shows. But this presumption that lives when you are not hitting a you know net a ball over the net at you know 100 miles an hour or making a zillion dollars that those lives are not worth living is incredibly arrogant and incredibly ignorant the story of Ezekiel's uh, Emmanuel's own father belies it he's a doctor guess what he decided i forget the exact thing i haven't reread it in a while but in his late 70s or 80s not to operate anymore. He continues to consult. You know, Emmanuel's dad describes his life as full of pleasure and meaning. So think what it means for Emmanuel to be unable to see that. Uh, you know, it's just the, the, there is abundant ev- evidence everywhere around us in the older people we know, in the people listening to this podcast right now, that although we don't continue to operate in all domains the way we used to, there are enormous gains as well as losses, right? We gain all kinds of emotional intelligence. We know ourselves better. We have more confidence, women in particular, and so on and so on. So his premise that age turns people into useless, miserable burdens is frankly not only false and not backed up by the data, but anti-humanist, a function of incredible privilege and um, disgusting. So why is ageism acceptable when other isms are not? Well, I don't think, uh, I think ageism is less questioned than other forms of bias. Uh, I think they are all too acceptable. 
I think we obviously, you don't have to be a genius to say we have a long way to go towards racial equality in the United States, towards gender equality. Look at the gender wage gap, which closes by a few pennies every year and so on. So I don't think, and I think all of them are too acceptable, uh, but I think we, we started thinking about those other forms of bias earlier than we've started thinking about age bias. But I take enormous hope and I see it, you know, I see the evidence around me that because people have started to really think hard ever since the civil rights movement and the second wave women's movement in the 70s, 1970s, we understand much more about these forms of bias and how they take up, you know, lodging inside our brains and how we can confront them in our personal lives, our professional lives. Everything we learned about those forms of bias is applicable to an enormous degree to addressing age bias. So we're, we're talking about ground that is already plowed or a you know sled that is already in motion. It is a much smaller ask to say, why should we tolerate discrimination on the basis of age you know, now than it was to say 60 years ago, gee, a woman could run a big company as well as a man. And are those of us who are in our 80s and 90s our own worst enemies sometimes uh, as far as ageism is concerned? I love that question. And, and uh, I mean, one of the, uh, you know, I came into this knowing nothing. I had no degrees. I had no professional affiliations. And one of the many things that completely bowled me over at the beginning, like that, like that fact that people are happiest at the ends of their lives and when they're kids, um, and I'm happy to talk about why, why that is, um, was the fact that older people can be the most ageist of all. It didn't make any sense to me, but then it took me a while to realize no prejudice makes sense of any sort. Uh, we live in a culture that barrages us with negative messages about how awful it's going to be to grow old and how tragic it's going to be to encounter any kind of impairment. And unless we stop to question them consciously, they become part of our identity as internalized bias. That's what's going on, for example, when we blame every ache and pain on getting older. Um, and as someone with severe arthritis, I have plenty of those aches and pains. But as I say in my TED Talk, borrowing an old joke, I stop blaming my sore knee on my age because my other knee doesn't hurt and it's just as old. So that's an example of a thought pattern, you know, maybe it hurts, but it probably hurts because you, you know, were, were kneeling, did a lot of lifting. Maybe that's why your back hurts. You know, look at the reason beyond age to the way other things shape our opportunities and don't reflectively blame things on aging. How do we recognize when we are becoming ageist? Yeah, well, um, the good news is it's super simple because you're ageist. <laughs> we are all ageist. Everyone is biased. No, I, I don't, I, not only do I have no judgment, if you can acknowledge your bias, which is the hardest and most necessary part of all of this, and it's brave um, because no one wants to admit that they're biased. However, we can't confront bias unless we're aware of it, and most bias is unconscious. So first of all, you are. <laughs> but the goal is to become more aware of it because then in that we can, you know, work on ways to have it shape our language and our attitudes and our what comes out of our mouth less. 
a really good exercise for that is to think about how you use the words young and old. You know, do you people say, I don't feel old? What they really mean is I don't feel decrepit or I don't feel ignorant. I don't feel useless. I don't feel ugly. Those are all things that we can feel at any point in life. So use the thing you actually feel, right? I felt all those things worse at 13 than I ever have in adulthood. So use the actual word. And another habit to think about breaking is, and again, no judgment, we all do this, but when you get to a meeting or a social engagement, um, do you make a beeline for people your own age? That's a good habit to try and break at a dinner table. You know, do you go sit next to the person you know best or the person who looks the most like you? Try to mix it up because it's really important to try to make friends of all ages because that is how stereotypes about age get broken down. Because the minute you're around people who don't look like you, you are forced to acknowledge like, oh, not everyone who has that color skin or, you know, behaves in such a way is like everyone else, obviously. But you're only as young as you feel. Age is just a number. <laughs> Am I being ageist? I would say so, you know, because you are as old or as young as the number of times you have circled the sun. And language, that's another thing to look for that touches on what I just said. Language that centers youth, like a young at heart, or you're only as young as you feel, emphasizes the very sort of cornerstone of ageism, which is that young is bad. I mean, young is good and old is bad. So what I want is a world where we acknowledge our age, we say how old we are, but then it recedes because it says so much less about us than we think it does. We live in such age segregated silos, all of us, no judgment, that we give age more sort of prominence than it deserves. We think it has more to do with affinity than we think it does. When we say age is just a number, it's sort of a way of brushing that number under the rug. And another fact that I wish I could impart to sort of every brain in the universe would be that the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. The, the nerdy way, you know, doctors say the defining characteristic of late life is heterogeneity. Every newborn is unique. Seven-year-olds are more, you know, have more in common developmentally, cognitively, socially, physically than 27-year-olds and so on out. So the older we are, the less the number reveals about us. I just spoke with a woman, I won't mention any names, in her 90s, who very excitedly told me she just got two new clients. And that's I think that, yeah, that's wonderful. I am proud of myself that at 86, I started this podcast. As you so, should be. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get over these ageism concepts. Self-fulfilling um, self stereotypes. There's a terrific physician named uh, Becca Levy who wrote a wonderful book I can recommend called Breaking the Age Code, which is about how these self-limiting beliefs affect how our minds and bodies function. They harm our health. So it does, you know, but, but it, it's, a, it's a bit of a cliche, but you are never too old 
and it is never too late. You might be too lazy. You might be too out of shape. You might not have enough money. You might be sick of doing that because you've been doing it for X years. But the reason is never age itself. I just want to point out, though, that we live in a culture, and that is what shaped Ezekiel Emanuel's toxic view, is that if you are not doing and making, making a thing, making money with women, it's often phrased as keeping busy, then you are somehow less valuable. And many older people are quietly embarked on what may be the most challenging task of our entire lives, which is to make meaning of our lives and to do a life assessment and to figure out how we want to be in the world in our last, you know, last third and, and who we want to be. That is a an incredibly important activity. And I don't ever want people to feel there's so much discourse about, you know, you have to have purpose and you have to give back your purpose. Your purpose can be to make a really good podcast. Your purpose can be to watch the roses bloom in the spring. You don't have to feel that you have to jump out of that goddamn airplane, you know, all those pictures of the skydiving octogenarians, in order to do aging, quote unquote, right or well or successfully. One of my least favorite phrases. If you wake up in the morning, you are aging successfully. And I don't want people to ever think they have to hold themselves to some standard of achievement that is crafted by a society that does not have our best interests at heart and feel bad about yourself. You just brought up three points that I really want to talk about. <laughs> I know. it's not Everything touches on everything else because aging is not something sad and sickly that old people do. Aging is how we move through life. We are aging from the minute we're born, and it touches on every domain of human experience. How does aging, uh, our attitude about aging affect our health, body, and mind? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge topic um, in a growing body of really interesting evidence shows that it uh, that these attitudes affect how our minds and bodies function at the cellular level. Um, much of it has been done by Becca Levy, although there's new evidence from a, a big study about everyday ageism, sort of those slights that you hear, you know, are you, you, you know, too old for this from come perhaps between our ears for perhaps from someone condescending to us or ignoring us as older people. And those exposure to those daily, everyday ageism microaggressions, which are these little, often unconscious comments, um, affect our, our blood pressure. They affect our heart, the health of our heart. They affect depression. They have a whole range of documented health effects. My favorite um, sort of most sort of mic drop e study done by Levy um, shows that people she puts it as people with more positive attitudes towards aging. To me, that sounds like sort of age washing. You know, you're only going to think about the happy stuff. And I think it's really important to discuss the scary stuff. So I say people with more accurate attitudes towards aging are less likely to get Alzheimer's, even if they have the gene that predisposes them to the disease. So I'm hoping that the U.S. will, will launch an anti-ageism campaign as a public health initiative. The U.K. is about to do it. Australia did it three years ago because 
one thing we are in charge of, not that it is easy to change mindsets that we have, you know, held all our years because of the culture we inhabit, is to examine your own attitudes towards age and aging, become aware of your bias, because the minute you see it in yourself, then you start to see it in the world around you. That just happens. It's like letting a genie out of a bottle. And that can undo the positive, you know, the, the negative health effects of thinking, oh my God, you know, I don't know where my glasses are. That must mean I'm going to get Alzheimer's because the anxiety that you might get Alzheimer's makes you more likely to get Alzheimer's. Anxiety is bad for us. And if you say, crap, I can't find my damn glasses, but um, you know, Alzheimer's is not typical of aging and Alzheimer's rates are dropping fast. It's a terrible disease. You know, I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about it, but again, it's a perfect example of how our fears are out of proportion to the reality and that fear itself, which, you know, in the broadest sense, fear is profitable. Fear sells things. Fear in this case makes people buy, you know, mind game, brain games, you know, that make you better at brain games, but don't confer any documented um, resistance to ageism. What we do know is that addressing your own age bias and learning more about what age and aging is actually about for most of humanity, that will protect you. All kinds of health benefits. I mean, even in uh, the AARP magazine, uh, <laughs> you'll enjoy using the Jitterbug Flip 2, our easiest cell phone ever. Big numbers. Now, I'm again, I'm not making light of the fact that as we get older, our eyesight isn't as good and maybe our technical capability. But come on, not everybody over 55 needs a big number cell phone. Well, AARP could play an incredibly important role here. Their magazine has by far the biggest population of any uh, magazine in the United States, but they only got permission to use the word ageism in their communications a few years ago. They are never going to change the culture. What is gonna change the culture is what has always changed the culture, which is popular resistance to discrimination. And that is why I do the work I do, which is to help catalyze a grassroots movement like the women's movement to raise awareness of, you know, of discrimination and what to do about it. What you touch on with the big, you know, um, dials on the phone or, you know, whatever has to do, of course, with physical and cognitive capacity. And that is, I mean, much of our anxiety about ageism, aging legitimately is about how our minds and bodies may change, but that's not actually ageism. That is ableism, stereotype typing and prejudice and discrimination on the basis of having some sort of incapacity, which of course is a spectrum. Uh, so the fact is that if the phone is easy to use and the dials are easy to read, that is good for everyone. And what we need to work here, there's an interesting um, thing called the curb cut effect, which is that when the Americans with Disabilities Act went through, they had to start making every curb, street curb, street corner curb with a ramp. And of course, that was, that was designed to enable wheelchair users to get up and down the curbs. But guess who used them? People pushing strollers, people pulling 
uh, you know, wheelie suitcases, people pushing delivery carts. The minute something becomes universal and ubiquitous, we all start using it and it loses its stigma. So I would like to see all these products made for, you know, a people so that people of all abilities could use them and then they wouldn't have their taint. We also need to work on our own internalized ableism as well as ageism. You know, my eyes don't work as well as they used to. My, I'm totally deaf in one ear. Um, am I disabled? In some circumstances I am. In a crowded room I am. Talking to you, not so much. So that is some part of our bodies is going to fall apart. And we need to work together. All of this is the work of a lifetime. We need to engage in it with others. But to question that, um, that, that feeling in us, no judgment. We're like, oh, I don't need that big thing or I don't need that helping hand. Well, you may not need it now, but you're going to need it a few years down the road in all likelihood. Why are you furious that someone offered you a seat on the bus? Think about where that reaction comes to in your own mind and why the fact of being identified as someone who might need help because you might appear, you know, a little tipsy, I'm sorry, you know, as in not having the best balance in the world or simply older or, you know, you, you, that's how you look. And yes, the world perceives you more negatively than it ought to because we have an undone ageism and ableism in the culture. But also the offer of a seat is a nice thing. It, it you know, it's a kind gesture and there's nothing wrong. You know, I'm grateful when someone offers me a seat. If I'm getting off the, you know, the subway soon, I say no thanks. If I have a long ride, I say, you bet. Um, and to, to not to work again on our own attitudes, to think about why that is stigmatizing because we are in charge of the value we attach to those experiences and our feelings about them. Thank you, because someone did offer me a seat on an airport bus mm -hmm. and I was annoyed. Yeah, it's hard. And I hope you don't think I'm banging my finger at you because we have a lifetime of living in a society which says to ask for help or need help is shameful. And that is a terrible, toxic idea. We need help lifelong from when we're children. If, you, if, you're, if you're raising a kid or looking after anyone, if you hurt your foot, if you're in a car accident, if you get sick and then you get better. And I have to say it is especially hard for men because men age well by, you know, by moving, continuing to move like younger versions of themselves. Do, I'm not, this, this is not what I actually believe. This is the central narrative of, of capitalism in an ageist, sexist, you know, patriarchal world. Women age well by appearing, appearing to not age. Guess what? That standard is not possible. It sets us up to fail. It pits us against each other. And there should be no shame in asking for help and offering help. You shouldn't feel like someone's going to bite your hand. You know, offer the, offer the help in a way that enables the person to say no thanks, right? Don't grab the hand of someone with a white cane at the elbow, you know, at, at a street corner. Say, can I help you? Would you like a chair? And listen to and respect the answer. But, you know, I, I hope, I hope you, I'm, thank you for telling that story and being vulnerable because it is by reflecting on what your, your reaction says about your own 
attitudes, that's where, I hate to say it, but that's where, you know, it is in those moments of profound discomfort that our attitudes change. Of course, my son did laugh. <laughs> well, I hope you picked him. <laughs> I threw him off the bus. There you go. Uh, one of the things that attracted me to your TED Talk, and the, one of the big reasons I asked you if you'd be on the podcast, was your different attitude about aging than a couple of the men I've spoken to about the same subject. What was their, how would you describe their attitude? Uh, as we get older, we get uh, uh, more dignified. We get more, uh, we get stronger, uh, more independent. I mean, I, you know, none, first of all, well, there are only two inevitable bad things about getting older, only two. People you've known all your life are going to die and some part of your body is going to fall apart. Cognitive decline is not inevitable. About 20% of the population escapes it entirely. We all know some of those, you know, sharp 90-year-olds, most of us lose some processing speed, but that's all we lose. This myth, this ideology that we can keep, I mean, being stronger, no one gets stronger. After age 30, we start to lose muscle mass. It's a fact. You can go to the gym every day. You can maintain your strength. You can be stronger up to a point than you were when you were young because you were a couch potato or, or an athlete, whatever. But eventually, this narrative that you can prevent your body from changing sets you up to fail. And that is, you know, it's, it's, you could make an analogy to women who have, you know, dye their hair to cover the gray and have Botox and have cosmetic surgery. No judgment about any of this. This, this shit is hard. And we, especially in a culture that tells us constantly, right, that we're in this horrible race against the inevitable and competing against each other. That's the overarching toxic narrative. But we got to do this stuff in our own way, in our own time. Lots of people, you know, exercise a lot and stay fit. That is fantastic. But you are not going to be able to continue to move or look like your younger self. And as long as that is the goal, it's also profoundly classist. You know, gyms and leisure, those things are expensive. Tons of people around the world don't have access to them. That's why tons of, you know, people with, you know, with less money and assets, black and brown people predominantly, often in the millions don't get to age at all, right? This whole thing is also embedded in racism and ableism. You know, if you are, if you are marking your value as a human being by how much money you make and how fast you can run, those standards are going to not do, not serve you well. And the longer you live, the less well they serve you. Other cultures are not as ageist as here in the United States. Am I correct? You know, there are the, 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 the forces that have propelled ageism around the world are global. Capitalism, which equates the value of a human being with how fast they move, how quick they think, how much money they make. 
um, industrialization, which um, moves people out of the out of you know, and urbanization. They go hand in hand. You know, when people live in small communities where people of all ages are visible and have their role to play in society, there's less ageism because you're surrounded by people of all ages doing their thing, right? So everywhere, I mean, look at China. You know, people always think like somewhere in the east, it must be better to grow old. Um, societies where there was Confucianism, uh, uh, ancestor worship, uh, um, a value of filial piety where children are very um, subservient to their elders. Those are all values that place a higher value on older people. I will make myself unpopular with most of your listeners by pointing out that those are societies where it is not great to be young. And I don't want a world where older people are more valuable than younger people. I want a world where age is stripped away and where you are valuable as a human being, no matter whether you are seven or 77. And we have a tremendous example of cultures that value their older members right here in the United States with indigenous cultures, partly because they live more, continue to live more in age integrated societies. So it's important to, you know, zoom out and look at the bigger um, forces at work always. This Chair Rocks, a manifesto against ageism. The Los Angeles Review of Books said, along comes Ashton Applewhite with a book we have been waiting for. Anti-ageism now boasts a popular champion, activist, and epigrammist in the lineage of Marshall and Dorothy Parker. Until this chair rocks, they left out the rest of it. <laughs> we haven't had a single compact book that blows up myths seven to a page like fireworks. Tell us about your book. Well, I, you tell people about the book because I wrote the book. So, of course, um, I it's hard for me to be not biased about it. Um, but I think it is a very good book. I think, you know, it is sort of, I mean, I, I, here, I will say this about the book. I think it is impossible. I, I will say that it's available in paperback. It's available as an audio book read by me in all kinds of different formats. It's available in an increasing number of translations, which is exciting. And that it is impossible to read my book and come away without feeling an awful lot better about the years ahead and an understanding of the larger forces at work that want us to be fearful and stay in the dark. And I also think it's fun to read, but of course I'm biased, so I would love it if you told readers what you thought of it. Okay, let me see if I can make this sound like a book review. This Chair Rocks is a must read for all generations, but an absolute read for those in our 60s and beyond. It's a funny, inspiring, enlightening, and informative call to action and a guide to living better as we age. It's available on Amazon and I assume pretty much everywhere else. Yes. And speaking of where things are available, if I can just uh, to let people know about a website called the Old School Clearinghouse which the, the URL is oldschool.info, and it is a repository of hundreds 
of free, carefully vetted resources about ageism, what it is, how it works, what it smells like, when it quacks, and what you can do about it. And you can find my books, you can find my TED Talk, you can find Becca Levy's book, you can find podcasts like this one, infographics, webinars, blah, 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 blah. Whatever speed and format speaks to you, spend a little time noodling around old school for sort of one-stop shopping. And everything is free except the books to, because this movement is young. And I thought a couple years ago, wouldn't it be great if there was a central place where people could come to and find all the best resources to, to learn about ageism. And what is Yo, This Is Ageist? Um, Yo, Ageist is a blog I started, geez, gosh, over 10 years ago, modeled on the wonderful pre-existing um, blog, Yo, Is This Racist? Which, um, with permission, which this um, guy started because we are um, awkward, I think, when it comes to talking about race, what's a place where you could ask a question. I modeled Yo! Is This Ageist on that because I think conversations about age and ageism are new. These are new ideas to most of us. So you can ask me a question about something you have done or seen or heard an ad. We just, someone just um, sent in something about a, um, uh, oh, shoot, I can't remember the name of the company, um, so I won't, so you can cut this out. Um, and I want to let people know my website is thischairrocks.com, and you can get to Yo! Is This Ageist through that, or again, through the um, Old School Clearinghouse at oldschool.info. I try to be funny, um, and I am, I try to be very thoughtful because these are, you know, these are important ethical questions. Also, it's just my opinion, and the landscape is changing fast. Your experience is your experience. You're not going to agree with me all the time. And there is nothing wrong with that. How can we join you in the movement to end ageism? Well, I would say I'm, I will be happy to um, send you a link to, I sort of have a, a blog post that has a lot of suggestions in a row. Um, my blog, thischairrocks.com slash blog. I've been thinking out loud there for 15 years, so it's searchable by topic if something interests you in particular. The most important step is to look at your own attitudes towards age and aging, because we can't challenge bias unless we're aware of it. Uh, if you, uh, another thing you can do is to try and make friends with people of all ages. You can't just go grab a young person by the, by the back of the neck and say, hey, I want to be your friend because you're young. But think of something you like to do and find a mixed age group to do it with. If you want a little bit higher lift, start a consciousness raising group or even just a discussion group around age and aging because we don't talk about this stuff enough it's really interesting and it's if it's mixed age that's good for everyone because we live in such an age siloed society and if more you know younger people had friends who are older they would see all the ways in which aging enriches us and we would remember how hard it is to be young, right? It's easy to be resentful of younger people. And in fact, would, you know, I don't know anyone who on reflection wants to go back to their youth. 
even in an age of society. So talk about that stuff. And I will say that on Old School, we've created conversation guides and consciousness raising guides, free download. You can adapt them. You can use two words out of them. You can plagiarize the whole thing because it's not plagiarism because we put it out there for people to use. So one is called Who Me Ageist for looking at your own age bias, Ageist Sexist Who Me for how ageism and sexism inform each other, Ageist Racist Who Me, how racism and ageism play off each other. Because I know this is a big ask, but we're not going to undo ageism without undoing racism and sexism and all the rest, because these are systems that build on and require each other, right? To they, they support each other. The flip side of that, that seems like a, you know, a really sometimes always it almost feels physically weighty, that idea of these interlocking systems, you know, um, imposing systems externally imposing valuation on each of us as human beings. But activism is intersectional also. The minute you you learn more, you become more aware of your bias, any kind of bias, you chip away at the fear and ignorance that underlies any bias. And you can draw on that uncomfortable but liberating thought process the next time you find an assumption clicking into place on the basis of someone's skin color, of their body type. And again, not only no judgment, if you can begin to do that, it's hard, it's uncomfortable, it's brave, and it's so important. And it does make you, I think, you tell me, Larry, but it makes you feel better because you go, oh, this is a more generous more accurate way of being in the world as a human being who cares about other human beings. Deep breath. I mean, does that seem like totally rainbow unicorn? I mean, I do believe it. And I don't think it's just because I'm an activist who's focused on social justice. I think, you know, I think it's what most humans would like to live in a world that values most humans. I think so too. Good. Uh, for everybody listening, all of these links will be at Ashton's section of the website specifically for seniors.com. I'll, uh, I'll link everything there as well as trying to do it in editing so people watching can get some of the links as well. Ashton, this has been wonderful. I really appreciate you coming on. You are so welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you found this podcast interesting, fun, or helpful, tell your friends and family and click on the follow or subscribe button. We'll let you know when new episodes are available. You've been listening to Specifically for Seniors. We'll talk more next time. Stay connected. Stay connected.